everybody. Welcome to Macros and Mindset with Dr. Kristen and Patricia. And this is our our spooky questions episode just in time for the holidays. Um, So what we decided to do today was in both of our groups, we put up a post um, asking our members to give us the questions that they were either afraid to ask or wish they had asked or things that just kind of seem scary to them. And so what we're going to do today, yeah. (laughs) So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk over some of those questions, um, address them. You know, we are going to give some shout outs to the people who asked them. Um, But yeah, so we're just going to kind of jump in. Um, So speaking of Halloween, um, it, it just seems so weird this year because it's like, COVID and everything is so, I mean, and you still have a mirror. What are you guys doing for Halloween? Well, we just had a neighborhood group that reached out because I think they're going to do some gathering. We cannot uh, trick or treat in our neighborhood anyway, because the houses are so spread out. We live in a very non-traditional neighborhood. Yeah. So there's like, you know, one and a half, two acres per property. So we have neighbors, but they're like over yonder. Like we in our in our yard in the morning. So it's it's one of those where um you need a golf cart if you're gonna yes. treating yeah. like or take a walking stick because the hike is serious. It so is serious. I think there might be a couple houses that um will hit, but I didn't think we were gonna do anything. But we yeah. typically don't have trick-or-treaters because our neighborhood is so, so spread vast. out and so, hilly. Yes, well, lots of hills in your neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the first year that I haven't done anything and it feels so weird. I mean, like I love Halloween. I normally decorate my house. I, love I, like, I like always dress up in yep. something. And yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like almost Halloween and it's like, I haven't done anything. So. We still haven't gotten a pumpkin. That was what I wanted to no. do. Yeah. No, no pumpkins. Always yeah. carved pumpkins. Always have a, you know, yeah. Yeah, roast we'll go this week and get one. Yeah. That's super fun. So yeah, well, this world sucks right now. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm so ready for things to be back. I had a conversation with my family about Thanksgiving and we're not even doing, for the first time in my entire life, we are not doing our traditional Thanksgiving that we always do. Yep. And it just breaks my heart. It, yep, it, we're, not, we're not getting together. I, I mean, we are, but not in the same way where all the different parts of the family, like one of my brothers is going to go to Florida. Yeah. See, we're, I mean, we're not doing that. It's like, normally it's like the whole family together. It may not be on Thanksgiving, but it's like around the holiday when everybody can get together. And it's like, we're not doing it this year. It's like, and I talked to mom and dad, it's like, well, you and Ariel can come out on this day. And then your sister and her family are going to come out on this day. And I'm just like, very disjointed. It is. It sucks. I'm so ready for life to get back to normal. (laughs) I think what's important about this and, and, from, from a mental health perspective and a, and a um, connection perspective mm-hmm. is um, maybe some new traditions or new connection activities for the now, right? Yeah. Because again, it's not going to be for forever, but some new connection activities for the now. So although it may seem weird um, for the family members that aren't coming on that day, maybe Zoom or Skype them in just yeah, for yeah. a little bit. and. Um, you know, have a little bit of that connection and that togetherness or, um, you know, another thing that's really fun right now. And I know that people have done this before, but this just popped into my head. It's probably more done for, 
or Christmas or whatever, where it, it almost looks like a chain mail where you message somebody and say, you know, send this to four other people and everybody gets a gift or something. So, yeah. you know, this could be an opportunity for us to use snail, snail mail and to write a handwritten letter. Or oh, this, that's good. Yeah. You know, this could be a way where, um, we could connect with those people, um, in a way that's different because I think we all like receiving things in the mail and it's just not the norm anymore. Right. And yet that could be another way to show our, our thanks, our gratitude, our appreciation, our love, just a thought. Yeah. Well, and I thought about doing a kind of a chain email with all my extended family because oh, we yeah. always, one of the things that we do is we sit around the table and talk about, you know, and I know this is Halloween when we're on Thanksgiving, but you know, Hey, we, we, we'll, we'll get back to where we are. We'll get back to that. But, yeah. We'll get back to that. But is um, we always sit around the table and everybody shares something that they're super thankful for. And we can right. do that this year. So I'm like, maybe we can do it through email or we could do, everybody has a phone in my family. Even, I mean, even my 94 year old grandmother could do something on my mom's phone is we could record a little video and say, and we could play the video. So, and everybody could see the video and still have everybody talk about what they're thankful for. So I don't know. I just think we can, we can have some fun with it. So yeah, new traditions. It's all about new traditions this year. What are we going to do different? Well, it's interesting because the the theme that comes up is once again, Uh there's a will, there's a way. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, but like, I haven't even watched Hocus Pocus this year. And that's like a standard. I haven't either, but I haven't either, but I've watched the old Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters, which is Halloween Town. (laughs) Oh my God. I watch Halloween Town every year. And I know that's so stupid because it's like a Disney movie or something, but I haven't watched that either. I love Halloween Town. Yeah. So, oh, and my, my other favorite practical magic, love Practical Magic, watch it every year. Yeah. Harry Potter, I've all I've, I've oh. been watching through. Yes. So many of my clients where um, that are having issues. This is this is this is important. I have in my um, in actually my tools for my coaching group is I have a ridiculous tool because uh-huh. the boggart in the cabinet is the thing that you fear most. Yes. So even on your weight loss journey, you've got to look at um, what you fear most and you've got to use that ridiculous to turn it into something silly. I love that. Oh my God, Kristen, you are, you were already my favorite person. But thank you, JK Rowling for giving us yes. how we can transfer. And it's such a great example of the hero's journey. Because as we go through this post-op weight loss surgery process, we are finding and creating, well, you don't find yourself, you create yourself. We are creating who we want to be, you know, really, or, or finding ourselves once again, reconnecting with ourselves. And part of that where is where we go into the shadow. We go yeah. into the darkness, the darkest places of ourselves. And whether you are familiar with Harry Potter or not, it could be Lord of the Rings. It could be, clearly, I like yeah. Yeah. But any of those stories, which really illustrate the hero's journey, yeah. you will go through what we call the dark night of the soul. If you yep. don't, you know, you're avoiding it, right? So it's to go through the darkness. We all have to get in touch with our darkness in order to access our light. Oh my God. I'm like over here geeking out because the English teacher for 25 years in me is like, oh my God, we're talking about the hero's journey. <laughs> 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 and I know when Ariel hears this, she's going to be going, yes, <laughs> these are my people. <laughs> Ariel grew up on Harry Potter. I mean, like literally she turned 11 when Harry turned 11 with the first book. And I remember she cried on her 11th birthday when she didn't get an owl. 
for her to go to Hogwarts. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and she learned how to read with Harry Potter. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, oh my God. So yeah. Harry I Potter find so like, many tools in there for my clients oh, for and sure. especially clients who've read it before. I mean, yeah. I won't use it if they don't know what right, I'm talking right. about, but, um, you know, I, I have a client right now that it was, was struggling and, um, I was giving her like different tools from Harry Potter and she was getting it and she was like, touche, touche. Yeah, this, is awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh my God. So we have some listeners too, that I know. So Lauren, and I'm going to go ahead and call her out because I know that Lauren Fry is going to go, oh my God, we're talking about (laughs) Harry Potter. This is amazing. No, Okay. All right. So we got to get into this or we're going to just. So what's, what's spooky? Let's, let's, let's ask, what are the scary spooky things that, that we need to cover, you know, on our, on our weight loss journey? Because there are a lot of scary things that, that can happen and, um, I think it's important to address because it's when we face into it, this is just um, the things that we think are the scariest that when we face them, when we confront them, just like on the hero's journey, um, we learn more about ourselves. We learn more about our journey and that anxiety, that fear dissipates. Oh, for sure. For sure. And here's the thing is, you know, and I know a lot of these questions came from a point of, you know, and, and, and I can resonate with this as well, because you know, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you don't know what to ask because you don't know. I mean, and so, you know, a lot of these questions come up later and it's like, dang, I really wish I had known to ask this, or I really wish someone would have told me this. Um, And so I think that that's one thing that happened with these questions is some of those questions came obviously from that lack of, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. Right. So the first one we'll address uh, um, comes from Pam and actually Pam asks a couple of really good questions. And so we'll kind of sprinkle them throughout. Um, But the first one we actually addressed in the regain episode, but we want to talk about it again is does my stomach really stretch out again? Um, And the short answer is yes. I mean, it does. Um, To a point, to a point, to a point. point. Yeah. To a point now. And, and I'm, I, again, I won't go into super great detail, but you know, prior to surgery, the stomach can hold approximately 64 ounces. Okay. That's a a lot. After surgery, um, up to about year one, you can hold approximately eight to 10 ounces. Okay. Now, I mean, it gradually stretches over time. I don't think I ever held eight to 10 ounces in the first year. Oh, I did. I did for sure. With a sleeve. Yeah, I could easily. So, I mean, if you consider, so think about this. So I remember freaking out at three months post-op because I could eat an entire Greek yogurt with a third of a cup of all brand buds added to it and an ounce of almond milk. Totally eat that. And I'm thinking, oh my God, my tool's broken. No, it's because it was a super soft food. That's true. Yeah. Could I eat a cup of steak bites? No. No. I mean, two or three ounces, maybe. But so, so I think it depends on the food. Well, by the time you hit two years post-op, your stomach is where it's going to be pretty much, unless you force feed yourself to stretch it out further, which you can do. So if you're being sensible, you know, yes, by the time you're at two years post-op, depending on the surgery. So with sleeve, you can hold, you know, two cups of food at a time. Um, you know, with other surgeries, it's, it's not going to be that much. Um, so you're still going to be limited, you know, with bypassing things to probably a cup to a little more than a cup, cup and a half, depending on the food. Again, I know a lot of bypass people who can totally eat an entire Greek yogurt with the all brand buds and they're two or three years post-op. So So I want to, I want to address something here. So, um, you know, I, I've, 
um, not this year, but I've been invited to speak at a lot of different support groups in the Atlanta area, hospitals and such. And one of the dietitians there, when I was there, um, did an experiment with um, a bag of Cheetos uh-huh. and water and showed how, because it is a grazing food, it is a slider yeah. food. Yeah. And basically a slider food means it slides through your pouch. Like it's, it, and it um, compresses down. So she did this experiment where she showed um, Cheetos, potato chips, those types of things, and it compressed. And so someone was able, you know, she said, you can eat this because it compresses down where steak won't, right? Right. Because chicken won't because it's too dense. Um, And so I think what's important is, what you're addressing, which is what type of foods are you eating? And that's why we stay away from those types of foods because you can eat a lot more because it will compress down. And she did that experiment. And I remember the faces of everybody in the room were like, Oh my gosh, the horror. And it was all of those things. Same thing. I mean, you can eat a ton of it now. I mean, I have clients who do incorporate popcorn into their plan, but they measure it out and they track it, you know, and popcorn has fiber. Some of this other stuff does not have fiber, you know, and I'm not telling you, yeah, I'm not telling you guys to go out and eat popcorn, but I'm just saying that once you get to a point, especially in maintenance, if you want to have a couple of cups of popcorn, you know, have a couple of cups of popcorn, you know, it's not going to hurt you just track it. So you know where it is, you know, that it includes fiber, you know, and there are a lot of unhealthier things that you could do. So right. some air pop popcorn or some light popcorn is not going to kill you when you're, you know, a couple of years out, if your body can handle it. So, um, okay. So that's a good one. All right. So what's the next one? What do you want to address next? <clears throat> um, Ooh, so she also asks, is there a way to still lose weight if the tool isn't working anymore? <laughs> Another short answer. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So it, it, do, well, let's go ahead and share our uncomfortable truth right now. Let's share the uncomfortable truth. It's not that the tool is not working. The tool will work. It's that, um, there may be some other things going on and, and, you know, the short answer is it's not that the tool's not working. It's that you're not applying what needs to work for the tool to work. Right. Right. So guys, it's like building a house. Okay. I can go to build a house and if I pick up a hammer to do, to nail in some nails and I can't use a hammer worth crap, you know, I mean, I'll eventually maybe build the house if I don't know how to wield a hammer, but if I learn how to properly wield a hammer, then I'm going to get that house built pretty quickly. You know, I mean, your car, you know, your car is going to run better if you put the right fuel in it, if you put that. So it's how you wield the tool. How you take it. Is the tool still working? So guys, I have clients who are 12, 15. I even have one who's 18 years post-op and they're like, my tool stopped working years ago. I'm like, no, it didn't. You're just not working your tool. Your tool is still there. Your body is not back to where it was. So I have them do a test. I have them do the cottage cheese or the oatmeal test to find out exactly how much they can hold. So, you know, and it's going to work. And lo and behold, if they start eating correctly, if they start tracking and they start putting the right foods in their body, those nutrient dense foods, the tool is still going to work. So yes, the answer is yes, 
you can still lose weight, but the tool is still working. It doesn't stop working unless you stop working it. Uh, yeah. And you know, yeah, it works if you work it. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, I love, I love that, that, that short answer better. It's, it works if you work it. And I think if, if somebody is really struggling, then that's where I go to, and not with the foods, because here's the thing you have it outlined where, you know, this is what you eat here. This is what you eat here. And anybody can follow the plan. If you're not able to follow the plan, then that's where I go. Oh, then it's a mindset thing. Then there might be some emotional eating. There may be some, yeah. you know, some other things that are going on. <clears throat> if you're not able to follow that, or if there's, um, and we and we all get cravings, but cravings. Here's the thing about cravings, and and I can say this from from my viewpoint and also clients' viewpoints, right? From people that I've worked with. Yeah, will cravings don't happen every single day. That is a, you know, that's where you've created a neuro pathway, a super highway that is a habit in your brain that at nine o'clock at night, you're going for the popcorn in the cabinet, right? That is not a craving. That is a, that has become a habit, you know, at at some point, um, you know, a craving I know, and especially for me different times, you know, um, on my period and I check in, right? So, oh, this is, this is period week. I check in and go, oh, you know, am I noticing that I want something sweeter? Am I noticing that I want something salty, but I don't stock my fridge with those things just because it's period week. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? right, right. It's, 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 I think the, the really important thing for everyone at some point on their journey is tune in to your body's needs, pay attention to them, tune in to, okay, body, what are you telling me? We far more listen to what our brain is telling and what we're thinking rather than dropping down into our body and really listening to what our body needs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and to kind of piggyback on that, um, uh, I think it was Brenda. Brenda asks, why do I still get hunger pains? Okay, you still get hunger pains because hunger is actually a physiological drive to find food. It's a good thing. It's telling that's hunger pains are different from from cravings. It's different from you know having an appetite. So hunger is a physiological drive to find and eat food. It's an unpleasant you know sensation. Appetite is the desire to find food experienced as a pleasant sensation. Big difference. So hunger is driven by heredity, but appetite is a learned response. So hunger is, it's a science of the body functioning. You should be hungry. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with hunger. Right. There's nothing. So you have to learn though, and be in touch with yourself, how to differentiate between the appetite, the craving versus the true hunger. And one of the best ways to do that again, and I know we sound like a broken record sometimes is to track what you're eating. So you know what you're putting in your body and are your nutritional needs being met? Are you fueling your body with enough food? And guys, that's one of the biggest things with bariatric patients. I have so many clients that come to me and they're like, Patricia, you know, my doctor says I'm not allowed to eat more than 800 calories a day. And I'm like, well, (laughs) okay, but 
you know, embrace the stalls, embrace the malnutrition, because that's not enough. You know, it's not, you know, that'll work for the first couple months because you're, you really can't get in more than that. But once you're four or five post, you know, months post-op, you've got to eat a thousand calories a day for your body just to function properly. And then all of a sudden those things start changing. You stop experiencing the, that extreme hunger because you can feel hungry after bariatric surgery. And I think that that's one of the things that, oh, you won't be hungry. No, you will be hungry because you're, you're starving yourself. Well, the other thing I want to add on to that is don't be afraid of hunger. So this is another thing that I think needs to be addressed in the, in the spooky episode. So a couple I think it was about a month or two ago, somebody asked in my, my Facebook group, bariatric mindset mavens, um, I'm afraid of hunger and I really like feeling full. And I, and I addressed it in a, in a video post, but the thing that I want to say here, another short answer is if you have a fear of hunger, it could also be rooted in some form of childhood trauma, right? And that's something because, uh, I have a friend who, um, and she's a friend, she's not a client who had weight loss surgery and she grew up very poor, so poor that most of the food came from a food pantry and most of the food was carbs, cakes, cookies, um, chips. And she told me stories that her mom would buy milk when it was on sale and freeze it. Yeah. And that the food that they had was very, very limited. And so when you grow up in, um, in a state of lack, there can be this fear of being hungry because it could really trigger some of, some of the trauma responses. And so this is another reason why uh, it's important to tune into your body because there may be some assurances that you need in terms of, you know, hand over your heart self, I'm able to take care of you self. There's plenty of food, you know, self, I love you. I'm not going to let you go hungry. Right. So these are very basic, but that also may be a cue that you may need some therapy around food because this is where some individuals develop to an eating disorder, not enough or too much. Right. So we, we want to know the difference in, you know, post-op, um, post-op, um, kind of like basics versus what's extreme forms that, okay, I may, I may actually have an, an eating disorder or may have some trauma related to this. Similarly to that overstuffing that, oh, I need to be full because I don't know when I'm going to get food again, right? right? Could also right. be a fear-based or trauma response. So right. it's, it's interesting that, um, that this is, this is something that, could happen, but again, it may not happen to a lot of people, but it's important, you know, that I, so much so that I wanted to address it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, again, this journey is more than just nutrition. It's mindset and it's fitness. Mm -hmm. All three play in. And until you address all three, most people are going to struggle. I mean, most people are going to struggle, which is why there's like a 60% regain in bariatric surgeon. So yeah, crazy. Ah, okay. All right. Next one. Let's see. What, where do we want to go next? Um, okay. Let's talk about this one. So Francine and Heidi both ask similar questions. So what about dumping syndrome, the bubbles and foam that don't go away and having to run to the restroom? Okay. <laughs> okay. This is the, yeah. Blah. 
Okay. So I have not experienced dumping syndrome. I've been one of the really fortunate ones, but I'll oh, I have. Yeah. Sleeve patients don't do it a lot. Um, but I know the foamies and the bubbles and things that's real common with bypass, um, RNY, BS, all of that. Um, but I have a lot of clients who have, and I have a former relative that, that did experience it. Um, you know, yes, it is a scary thing, but here's the thing in almost, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in, in my experience, in almost every situation where this has happened, it's because the person ate something that they should, shouldn't have eaten. I have a personal experience with that okay. and I have no problem being vulnerable. So okay. again, early on in my process, and I talk about this, I talk about one situation in, um, in my, in my book, release your regain, um, um, where, and I will say that dumping, some people are actually afraid of not getting dumping because they're hoping that it will. How messed up is that? (laughs) And, and so this is thing, that's when you know that you have a problem, you know, because if you're hoping that your body will stop you from eating, like, um, I'm sending you love and you need therapy. Like, (laughs) um, so, and it's, and it's not a bad thing to go to therapy. So I go to therapy. I still go to therapy. I'm seven years out. I still go to therapy. I still have a coach anyways, moving on. So what I experienced was, um, very beginning, I maybe six weeks. I can't even remember the timeline. Um, pate was on my list of things to eat. I put hamburger in a blender and yes, I did with cheese and water. It is sick. I see my face right now. I know, I know, I know. I mixed it. I had one very small spoonful and I was on the couch. And again, my husband calls my um my stomach the civic because it costs as much as a civic. I don't know. <laughs> but he's like, Did you break your civic? And I'm like, no, I just need a minute. I just need a minute. But it was, it was a lot of pain. That was one example. Another one was farther out where I can only have a half a cup of a half a cup, a half a cup of ice cream. And I did have regular full fat ice cream, the sugar, I got the cold sweats. I did feel nauseous. I didn't throw up, but there are different types of dumping. There's the pain in the stomach. There's, you know, the cold sweats. And there have been times where another time I had Chinese, my, my family, this was when I lived with my family, they had Chinese food. I had some, I even grabbed some rice. I mean, guys, I know, like I pushed the buttons. So I, I get it. Right. So, and I was in the bathroom throwing up and my husband walked in and he's like, pushed your civic a little too hard. Did you? He's like, I bet that'll teach you something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, shut up. But it's so important because I had to learn the hard way. And it scared the absolute shit out of me. Yeah. It just yeah. scared the crap out of me because I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to break it. But that fear also helped me to go again, hand over heart self. You're not doing yourself any favors. You need to get your stuff together. Yeah. Like you really need to get your stuff together, which is also how, you know, it snowballed into me doing this work because I pushed the envelope on my own sleeve. Right. And so dumping, not good. 
usually a sign that you're pushing the envelope, you're eating too much, you're overstuffing your pouch, you're eating too fast, you're not eating the right things. Like it's usually a sign. And so this is where my tip, Chris, Dr. Kristen's tip, right, is slow down, Mm. taste it, savor it, right? Tune into your body's cues. You know, those, you know, that's how you can tell those fullness cues. If you're eating like, you know, you're in a horse race, right? But overeating is where the foamies come from. Right. That's typically not associated with dumping in most people. That's typically a sign of you've overeaten. You've just eaten too much, maybe too much of the wrong thing, but that's typically where that happens. The foamies come right before I'm going to throw up. Yeah. 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 And, but see a lot of R and Y and bypass people can't throw up. So they get the, that foamy that just oh. feels like it lasts forever. So, I mean, my ex-mother-in-law was that way is, I mean, she would get the foamies, but she never could throw up, but it was because she was eating the wrong foods. So, but anyways. Um, okay. So I, as you're talking, I'm like, you know what, maybe I have had an episode of dumping and didn't realize it because I didn't. So even before surgery, I could not do keto. I mean, I've tried keto so many times because, you know, keto was like the fix all end all be all. And I never could do keto. I would lose maybe five or 10 pounds and then just nothing. And then I ended up just getting sick to my stomach. So too much fat can do that too. Yeah. So after surgery, I'm like, you know what? I'll try it because in my business, I, I need to be aware of what goes on. And I'm like, you know, so I didn't try traditional keto. I tried my keto, but here's the deal guys. I don't need keto. I don't have PCOS. I don't have Hashimoto's. I don't have type two diabetes. I don't have any insulin resistant diseases. My body does not need keto, but I wanted to see how my body reacted because I try things out on myself and a group of clients before I launch anything. Well, I did great the first like two days. And then by the third or fourth day, it's like all of a sudden it's that cold sweats. And I mean, I didn't throw up, but my mouth is watering. Like, you know, that sieve of water, like you're going to throw up, but I didn't throw up. And uh, so that, I guess that was dumping then. And it was all attributed to just too much fat for me. And I had the sleeve, which is normally not like, that's normally not a thing. So so dumping syndrome is real. It is scary, but it's always, always, always triggered by something that you don't need to be eating. I mean, but if you're not sure and you're, and you're in the testing ground, like for most right. recent few stops, again, the advice, eat slow, slow. right? Slow. Um, take it bite by bite. And while I would say most of the time it's preventable, you know, there may be some foods that you don't realize it. And so there's, you know, don't judge yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Right. Right. Just learn from it. Learn from Mm. it. Um, The bubbles and foam, again, that's, you know, a, I've never known a sleeve patient have bubbles and foam. Have have you ever had bubbles and foam? I haven't had. Well, the bubbles and foam, I think I've equated to the saliva bubbling up in my mouth that tells me I'm about to. Yeah. But no, this is like foamies. No, it's the weirdest thing. So, but that's, I mean, I've never known a sleep patient to have that. Um, but that's attributed to it's the equivalent of throwing up, um, and having to run to the restroom guys. Okay. So here's the thing. And I can equate this to the fact that, you know, I've had family members myself with IBS issues, you know, prior to surgery, um, 
you know, you like we walk through as women, we walk through a parking lot with our keys in our hand, looking over our shoulder. Okay. That's just what we do. Knowing where restrooms are when we go places, that's just what we do. It becomes normal. And then it, once it becomes normal, it's not weird anymore. Like when I go to the grocery store and there's three or four different grocery stores around where I live, I know where every restroom is, even though I've never been to one since I moved here in June. You know, I go to the grocery stores all the time, but you know what? I know where the restrooms are just in case. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the first things I do. It's like, okay, where are the restrooms? And so, I mean, just knowing that, knowing where they are, you know, it's fine. Um, and I think it's also attributed to to certain foods. Yeah. Um, you know, there are certain foods that, and, and I can't think of anything right off the top of my head, but there, um, you know, there are certain foods that, not, you know, I don't have IBS. Right. Um, but that will, it's like, Ooh, that didn't sit right. And now I have to, right. IBSD, IBSD. I mean, there's different versions. And so different people react different ways. Um, one more thing that I want to share about that, that I think is, is really important, especially for those who have a history of trauma. So what we're learning more about trauma is that trauma is stored in the body. Yes. And so talking about this, I was hoping you would. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this stress response. And so when you have that consistent stress response where you have a lower tolerance for stress because of a history of trauma, what happens is over time, your body goes on high alert for everything because it's a trauma response. Yep. So what can happen for those individuals is when you're on high alert all the time, you, it can, um, develop as IBS or gastrointestinal issues yep. right? over time. So some, and this is what um, we're learning your physio- physiological responses, potentially that it develops into a gastrointestinal disorder or IBS as a result of trauma stored in the body, as a result of you being at a constant, in a constant stress response, right? So here's another thing that's pretty interesting that I've been talking about lately with my clients, which is if you're going through a prolonged state of stress, your body is not able to digest your food. You must be in a relaxed state, the parasympathetic state. This can be also a reason why sometimes people will reach out to food when they're stressed because it will flip you into a parasympathetic state or a relaxed state. Another way to throw yourself into a relaxed state is to do box breathing. You can go to YouTube, type in box breathing. The Navy SEALs do it. I recommend it to clients. I recommend it to people. It's basically breathe in for one, hold for one, breathe out for one, hold for one. So what, why is this important? If you are in a constant state of stress and you're eating, the blood goes to the extremities in order to help you resolve that stress. And the contents of your stomach does not digest and it ferments and causes acid reflux. Nope. This is just physiology. Right. This is why when you're eating, right, it's important that you're not eating on the run. Yeah. It's important that you're not eating, you know, or that you focus on calming your, your body down so that your body can digest your food. Your body can only digest your food when in a parasympathetic state. And for, for, and that's not just bariatrics, that's everybody. This is everybody. It's just, 
everybody. This is just how your body works, right? So I found this completely fascinating because for those individuals who have had past trauma and now, right, even though you've had a psychological, some some psychologists, some pre-op, you know, they may ask if you've had a history of trauma, but they're more concerned with like if you've had bipolar, if you have schizophrenia, they're more concerned with that, but they may not necessarily ask if there's um, trauma. I don't remember mine, but I, I know that they were more asking, wanting to make sure that I didn't have binge eating disorder because that was another, um, thing. So what's important is that you are in a relaxed state so that your body can digest. And if you're not in a relaxed state, if your body is not, I'm not talking about you, you don't need to be totally Zen eating. (laughs) Mm, right. I'm talking about your body, yeah. right? Your body needs to be able to be in the parasympathetic state to digest or that relaxed state. So if you are in a state of fight flight and like, ha, 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 you're, you're on guard, your body, it has the potential of causing acid reflux. And then that's another thing. So, you know, when people have acid reflux, and I think we can go down to, um, really, and this could collaborate with Joanne's question really well, which is, you know, what is a revision and why do people have it done? A lot of people have a revision from sleeve to bypass because of acid reflux and Barrett's esophagus, which could, you know, can cause cancer of the esophagus because of acid reflux. What's also important that a lot of, again, no disrespect to the surgeons, they are not trauma professionals, right? right? They're not looking for trauma. What is important is that you also, if you have a history of trauma, that you get into therapy because even having a revision is not going to heal your trauma. Stomach surgery does not fix the head stuff. So I will get off my podium now, off my Uh But but I do have to say that, you know, so many of our patients have had a history of trauma. Yes. And let me kind of, let me, let me piggyback on that, on Joanne's question about revision. You know, why do people have it? You know, yes. The best reason to have a revision is because of reflux and you know, unless you have a medical condition that warrants having that revision, which there are those, you know, guys, again, going back to, you know, your tool not working, your tool works. So if you're just, you know, oh, my surgery failed and, you know, I'm going to go have a revision because I need more restriction. No, you're not dealing with the issues that got you there. Learn how to work, you know, the tool learn how to overcome the mindset issues that are holding you back from experiencing success. That's what's going to get you there. And, and works. <laughs> accompany, accompanying that is, you know, and, 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 you know, there, there is a hard line place and there's a, there's a compassionate place, both of which can come together, which is, Absolutely. you know, it works if you work it. And, and if you've had a history of trauma, if you have an eating disorder, you know, BED, right. binge eating disorder, or, you know, if you're having some compulsive overeating, like that's, that's the head stuff, like get into therapy, like get into therapy, right? So I think that's also what's very important to recognize is that you can still have that revision because you're thinking, oh, that's what's going to help me lose the weight. 
Same thing with, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, like pill options too. Like there's the prescription medication, right? Which again, doctors are prescribing and you can take part in. However, once you get off that prescription, because they're short lived, if you do not participate in quote unquote habit and lifestyle change, once you're off those pills, it will come back. I am not saying this because I'm a meanie. I'm saying this because I'm a realist and because I want to see you succeed. Go to therapy. Those are not going to fix it. And I literally, when I see these posts, it's like, hey guys, my doctor's going to put me on such and such because I can't stop eating. Does anybody have experience with this? And I'm like, oh my God, stop it. A pill is not going to fix it. Change the behaviors, create lifestyle habits. Unless you change the behaviors, not, uh, no pill on the planet's going to work. It's not going to work. I so. did tons of pills pre-op. I I I get it. Yeah. I mean, it's, and again, this is not coming from a place of judgment. This is coming from a place of, I know it, I've been there, I've done that. And I, I know that it's that everybody who's wanting that is also coming from a place of pain. Absolutely. And I'm going to revisit what I said at the beginning. You've got to go to your place of darkness. You've got to go to that, to that shat, do that shadow work. That's a Jungian, <laughs> you know, to the, you know, to the, to the darkness within you to really heal that relationship with food. Yeah. And, and I say that again, from a place of love and wanting to see you succeed because it's, it, and I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy because this is something, again, I just told you a little while ago, I've just had my seven year surge anniversary. Like, it, yeah, woo-hoo. but it's still something that I have to work every single day. Right. Right. I mean, the, the work never ends. The work, the never, work ends. never ends. You know, this is not a quick fix. It's not just magically going to fix everything when you under, you know, go under the knife got to do the mindset. You've got to put in the work, you know, somewhere along the way that has to happen. You know, it does. Example at the end of the day, yesterday, I looked at, um, I looked at my husband and I go, should I go downstairs and get on the bike? And he goes, yes, you should do 30 minutes. (laughs) And, And I go, you know, I just really don't feel like it. And he goes, go down, do 30 minutes. You'll feel better. 20 minutes later, I'm still in my office. And he goes, Kristen, you're not downstairs. <laughs> I'm going. So I put my clothes on and I'm like, yeah, but I really don't feel like it. And he goes, I know you don't feel like it. And you still have to do it. Cause he's heard me so often, you know? And, and so it was like, he was throwing back at me what, what I dish out. Yeah. And I went downstairs and I listened, you know, to an audio book and I, and I did 30 minutes on my bike and actually I did 45 and I came back up and I felt better. Now it was, it was something that I made time for, right. Yeah. When I really just wanted to get my PJs and lay in bed. Yeah. Right. So it's, I get it. Like, I, I can't even say enough guys. I get it. There are so many days that I live the, I don't want to, that's how I know you don't want to either. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. For sure. So I don't want to, I mean, Xander's at training. He's he's going to be gone for 16 days. Have I gone on my five or six walks a day that I normally go when Xander's here? No. (laughs) I climb my stairs. It's funny because I have a client floor, a point, uh, you know, apartment. Have I climbed them more than once a day since he left? Nope. 
I have a client whose dog passed away. She decided not to get another dog. And literally that's her excuse for not walking. Oh, dog anymore. anymore. Girl, no, no. It's an excuse. It's terrible, but you know, okay. So I am human. I am human. I'm human. I make mistakes and I'm right here with you. So I get it. I can, you know, stamp my feet in the corner, like my inner toddler and exactly not going damn it. Okay. So, all right, let's move on. All right. So, okay. So this one, we can kind of clump a few of them together. Um, Joanne asks, um, having a plan to avoid regain, it seems to happen around the fourth year mark. And I want to be prepared to avoid this. And then Pam says, what if I regained and need to lose, but I can't exercise due to health issues. Is there a way to still lose? Um, okay. So here, here's guys. Okay. Yes. Regain typically starts happening. Um, if you've, if you've hit your goal, or even if you've only come close to your goal, regain typically starts hitting between years two and four. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it happens. There is a natural, I mean, you ask your surgeons, they're going to tell you that you're going to gain back approximately 10% of the weight you lost. That's like, that's the way the tools are designed to, to develop. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. So in my situation, I got down to 165, which was lower than my surgeon's goal was 180. Mine was 175. Um, I got down to 165, which was way too low for me. I'm, I'm really tall. Um, I felt anorexic. I felt sick. It was, it was bad. It didn't, I looked unhealthy. Like people thought I was sick. Um, so I gained back up to between 170 and 175. And that's where I sat until all of a sudden I wasn't there anymore. And for me, it was tied to some emotional trauma that I was going through with the end of my divorce or the end of my marriage. Um, and before I knew it, but here's the thing, guys, what happened during that emotional period of my life is I'm on here every day telling people what to do, but was I doing it myself? No, I stopped tracking. I stopped meal planning. I stopped prepping. I stopped doing the things that I preach every day because I was in such an emotional wreck at that point that I just, I couldn't do what I was doing in life and keep my business running. So I let myself go. I don't care who you talk to. Virtually every person I have coached that has had regain, they knew what they were doing. I knew what I was doing, but did I stop it? No. You know, should I have, you know, gone to therapy? Yes. I mean, are there a lot of things I should have done? Yes. So regain doesn't just magically happen with, you know, what happens is regain happens because you stop doing what you're supposed to be doing, or you never started doing, you never developed the habits during the honeymoon phase, which is that other podcast episode that we have you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so if you, you know, listen to the honeymoon, cause we go into deep, deep, deep stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, your tool will only work for so long without you putting in the work and then it stops. And if you don't develop the habits while you're in the weight loss phase to change and make those lifestyle changes that your, your risk of regain quadruples. And there's, I think to piggyback off of that, uh, um, you could be like what you're, what you just described where did I know I wasn't doing it? Was I conscious that I wasn't doing it? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a place of denial. It's not necessarily a place of sabotage, but again, an emotional state of, I can't right now. Yeah. And again, that's what I would mark as more of like a situational depression, you know, yeah. and 
if you are going to therapy or if you, if you go into therapy, the focus in that moment is not, I need to be on plan. There's something wrong with me because I'm not on plan. No, you may need that time to adjust and okay, there may be a five, 10, 15 pound gain. And then when you're ready to get back on the horse, you know, so to speak, um, I have a whole chapter. It's the longest chapter in the entire book of release your regain about getting ready. You may need to get ready to get back on track, to get back on your plan, because in that emotional state that you're in, you may need to prepare your emotional readiness for your plan. I think that's another important thing to address is you're not bad because you've regained. No, no. Bad because you ate XYZ. You are not bad. We've got to destigmatize that and pull that out, right? And so- it, this this again is about honoring the cycles of your body, honoring your body's needs. And if you're terrified of of regain, let's look at what that's about, right? Right. right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I admit, I mean, I went through and I I hid. I mean, I hid from everybody. I hid from you. I mean, I even, I, huh? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want anybody to know. And so and there's I, shame, shame. Oh my God. Well, hello. I'm, you know, the owner of 34,000, you know, members who follow my every move, you know? And so, you know, and, and she regained what the heck. And then all of a sudden, it, but it wasn't until I got out of my marriage situation and into a healthier place that I was like, you know what? this happened. I know why it happened. It was because I couldn't handle life. And now I'm ready to address it. Now I'm ready to, I'm ready to address it. I am embarrassed about it, but you know what, what a better way to teach other people about it than if you've gone through it. And not that I would (laughs) necessarily tell people to do that. Right. Right. But, But I did. And so I turned it around and I, you know, I'm like, look, guys, if I can have regain, you can have regain. You know, it happens, but this is how you fix it. And guess what? The way you fix it is to do what you know you should have been doing all along. Pick the plan, prep the plan, follow the plan, track the food, exercise, get right with your mental status. You know, I mean, nutrition, mindset, and fitness, the three have to be there. And lo and behold, once I got out of the situation in with family in a place where I felt loved and safe and secure, all of a sudden I was back on plan. I was following my meal plans and I lost 22 pounds in the blink of an eye. Right. I mean, you can do it. So, you know, it's, it's all about understanding why you regained. I mean, and I knew why I unpacked that. I changed the situation and you know, became healthier because of it, you know, and now I have all this experience to pull from. So I get how frustrating and struggling and embarrassing and all of that that regain is. I mean, I get every, every miscarriage I've had and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed to have my son. I've so wanted to have a second child and I've not been able to, that's all other subject, but, um, I've had every miscarriage I've gained between 12 and 15 pounds. Yeah. And I've lost it. Yeah. Once you're in a place where you can mentally lose it again. Yep. When you're okay. And and it's on it. And the thing that I've experienced from it, and again, because 
I've worked on my mental state is I have no shame about this. I don't need to make a PSA. Everybody out there, I've gained 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I know when I trust in my body, when I listen to my body's cues, when I'm working the plan, yeah. when I'm doing those things that I need to get my mental status in order, step one. Right. You know, then step two, focus on the nutrition. Then right. step three, add in the fitness. And then, like you said, it's like clockwork. Yeah. However, I also know that when I'm in that grief place, I'm not eating crap either, but it's also from the hormones, from the hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Okay. So the second part of Pam's question was, um, I I can't exercise due to health issues. Is there a way to lose? Okay. Here's the deal guys. You can exercise. I don't care if you're bedridden. There are things you can do. Um, our fitness expert, Natalie Heckert, who works with both Kristen and I, and both of our, our, our groups, um, you know, she can tell you exercises to do. We can tell you exercises to do. If you're sitting in your chair, can you raise your arms above your head? So here's the thing. Yes. When you're dot, when you're again, there's blanket statements, right? So we've got to look at operational definition. So for her and many others who may quote unquote, not be able to exercise two weeks ago, example, I had to go to the orthopedic. Kristen, you have osteoarthritis. Your knees are effed up. <laughs> no more walking and treadmills for you. Yeah. So um, I have a bike. So that's that's what I'm using. I've got to go to physical therapy for my knees. I'm too young to have knee replacement, right? So technically, he's not saying don't move, but he did say you still have to move in a way that's going to function for your body. So when, when doctors say you can't exercise, usually what they mean is we don't want you to throw your hip out. We don't want you to. So what is important is you go back to your doctor and you're saying, um, because again, there's, there's that protocol, right. Um, and, um, I don't want to speak out of turn, um, because it's not my scope of practice, but, you, you need to get specific with, with your doctor and say, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Right. Um, yoga is something that is not, um, aerobic necessarily. Right. So you had mentioned isometrics, isometrics, using your body, you know, the weight of your own arms. Right. So it's from like a million years ago. Yes. It was all isometric. It's all just using your own body. I mean, pick up a water bottle and lift it a couple of times. I mean, there's things that you can do. Stretching is a form of exercise, you know? I mean, so there are things you can sit in your chair and, you know, put your toes on the ground and lift up your, and I'm sitting here doing it. Like I'm doing it right now. I know, I know. And so, you know, you can put your toes on the ground and raise your heels up and flex your calves. I mean, those are things that, that people can do. You can raise your arms above your head and do, you know, motions like you're a cheerleader. But if their doctor has said, you know, I don't want you to exercise. I think it's important for us to advocate for ourselves to also say, okay, if you don't want me to do aerobic exercise or you don't want me to walk, what can I do? Exactly. Exactly. And reach out to Natalie Heckard if you're unsure. Yes. But I also want to kind of piggyback on Mm -hmm. that and talk about something that is kind of a mis, I don't know, misnomer is not the right word, but Exercise and weight loss, you don't have to exercise more to lose weight. No. Actually, I have clients who have to stop from exercising as much because they're over-exercising for their caloric intake. 
and they can't consume enough food to sustain the level of activity they're doing. And they're frustrated because they're, 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 you know, having medical issues from bone density issues to, you know, muscle loss. I mean, there's things going on. If you can't put enough food in your body to sustain the high level of activity you're doing, it is counterproductive to the weight loss. You know, we didn't do this just to become skinny. We did this to become healthy. Exercise for mental health. Yes. That's my reason for doing it. It gives me endorphins. You know, there's so many psychological reasons why I exercise. And when I shifted my perspective from, I have to do this to lose weight, which actually created a mental block where I, I didn't want to do it even more. And now I do it for the, the mental boost that it gives me. Right. And I find so many people who are doing it for that, find it easier to exercise as well. Well, and here's, here's something, and I know I I've talked about it in, in my subscription group, but and I, I don't talk about it a lot because, you know, it does go against what some doctors believe in, but I didn't exercise a single day during my entire weight loss journey. Not one, not one. So 13 months, I did not exercise. I hardly even walked. I was working two full-time jobs. So I was, you know, I had a, a job where I was going into an office and an hour, hour and a half commute each way every day. So through almost three hours in the car plus a full-time job. And then I was coming home and I started this business. Right. So I was often working four five, six hours a night. And every weekend I didn't have time to exercise. So, and I had zero stalls, zero stalls. So exercise that you don't have to exercise. It's healthier if you do, you know, and knowing what I know now, I would have definitely made an effort to walk more and, and, you know, do some of those things because, you know, exercise does not mean weight loss. It doesn't speed mm-hmm. things up. It's healthy for you from a mental standpoint. It is healthy for a muscle. And, you know, because if you stop moving and putting exercise to your muscles, your muscles start to atrophy quickly. And so was I as healthy as I could have been at the end of my weight loss journey? No, but I, I did fix that. And I started walking and exercising and using the eFit board and playing tennis. And, you know, I'm hiking and I'm doing all kinds of things now. How much healthier would I have been now had I done that? You know, that's the question. So, you know, I'm not advocating not to exercise, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm shaming the devil here is I did not exercise during my weight loss journey. So it's not mandatory. It's healthy, but it's not mandatory. Yeah. If you can't exercise, that's an, I mean, you don't, okay. Pick the plan, prep the plan, follow the plan. (laughs) I mean, it's, there's your answer. You know, you don't have to exercise to lose weight. You know, you may have physical limitations. You may have whatever you don't have to, but there are small things that there are absolutely are small things. You can do wall pushups. You can do, I mean, there are things that you can do you know, sitting in a chair all day long, laying in a bed, you can do things. There are things you can do to move and activate the muscles in your body. Yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. For sure. Okay. Um, let's see, what do we want to do? Um, Oh, let's do it. Let's do kind of a fun one. I've always looked younger than my age because of being obese. How do I avoid the wrinkles or do I just embrace my age? Girlfriend, embrace your age. So here's what I have discovered. You can say that all day long. I'm, I'm 29 for like the, the 15th or 16th time or something. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I'm not. I'm like, girl, I'm 54 and I'm so proud of it. I'm about to be 55 and damn, I look good for my age. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I say in my head. Um, But, you know, that is something that kind of freaked me out a little bit when I lost the weight, especially when I got down too low for my body is, oh my hell, (laughs) it's like, whoa, wrinkles and things. And I'm like, you know what? I will exchange wrinkles for the health I have now any freaking day of the week, you know, but what are some things you can do to help that? The number one thing you can do is hydrate the crap out of your body. Bariatric patients do not hydrate enough. We don't drink enough water. Your body is elastic to your skin without hydration. You lose elasticity with age. We lose elasticity. So water as Kristen takes a drink, water and a good moisturizer will be your best friend. Can I tell you something really hilarious that I saw on another weight loss site? I I say this, I should probably put a disclaimer here. I will not accept any responsibility for anybody who tries this. (laughs) That's out somewhere else. Um, So I saw someone who on their weight loss journey, right? um, Mixed, y'all are going to laugh, preparation H with hand cream. Oh, I've seen this. And they put it on the back of their arms or different places because it's a, y'all are going to laugh. Yeah, Yeah, because it it really helps the the skin shrink in. But I've never tried it. But um, I don't know that I'd ever put that on my face. And I think the thing that Joanne was talking about was maybe her face, like, you know, wrinkles on her face. Um, I would just say invest in a good skin cream. (laughs) I mean, and and seriously, that's something that as women we need to be doing anyways. Um, I can't, I mean, I could, I could, you know, if you want to message me privately, I can tell you what I use on my skin. Um, I don't want to really endorse specific products, you know, here, right? but, um, you know, I, a good skincare regime is important for both men and women. I mean, it's not just a, a female thing. Um, it's not pansy, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. if you do mm-hmm. it, I'm just telling you, I mean, if you, if you want to look more youthful, you know, I mean, it, I cream on my face every day forever, and she still uses it every day. And my grandmother, you guys, she's 93, 94. She'll be 94, 93. She's 93. Um, she still uses it every day, morning and night. And yeah. my grandmother does not look 94. She looks 74. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do one with genetics, but two with the fact that she takes such good care of her skin her entire life. Right. You know, and you know, so again, hydrate, 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 water, 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 do whatever you can. I mean, I'm pushing clients now to 85 to hundred ounces a day because we are supposed to be drinking 50% of our body weight in ounces. Glug, 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 glug. Exactly. As Kristen takes another swig. Um, so 50% of our body weight in ounces. And that's, you know, just because we're bariatric doesn't change that. Now for a while, we're good to get in 64 because our stomach hasn't reached that level where, 
you know, we can take in more and still get in food. So it has to happen over time. But I promise you, once you get a couple years out, if you start to slam in the water and I have, I have bypass patients. Who are the water helps you stop from overeating too. It helps you stop overeating. I have, we have another question um, from Brenda. Just how serious is the constipation going to be? Hello? Oh, you need to drink water. Water. <laughs> water is the answer to so much. You know, I, I have clients who are like, Patricia, you know, I like want to snack all day long. Are you drinking enough water? Or I feel hungry all day long. Are you drinking enough water? Because your body will give you a cue that it's hungry when in fact, probably with a bariatric patient, if you're less than four years out, you're probably dehydrated. And the body can't say, hey, dummy, drink some water. It says, oh, feed me, feed me, feed me. Because it, it doesn't have another way to give you that signal. Yeah. Well, and, it's, it's, and a lot of people can look at the tips of their fingers. And if your fingers actually have little wrinkles in them, that's a sign of dehydration in most women. I don't have any wrinkles in my fingers. And you're probably okay. But you're also younger too. So when we get a little bit older, that's, and that's how I know, oh my God, if I'm not drinking enough water, the tips of my fingers, and I'm, sh- I'm showing you like you guys can see this because Kristen and I are zooming. If you don't know that, that's why you keep hearing things occasionally. Um, but you know, the tips of my fingers will get little wrinkles in them. And when I'm hydrated, that's how I know I've got adequate hydration is my fingers are puffy. I, they, they don't have the, those little wrinkles, but I can feel it. Look at the color of your urine. If it has a yellow tinge to it, and especially if it's a dark yellow, you are dehydrated. Okay. Add water. Your urine should be very pale yellow or clear if you're adequately hydrated. And um, again, not to scare anybody, but I, and maybe I mentioned this somewhere before, but I was watching this like survival show. Yeah. <laughs> And on the screen, I think it was like a discovery show or something. And they wrote, um, because these people were, you know, out in the wilderness in Alaska or something. I forgot what show it was. And they were like, dehydration is linked to heart issues. And I was like, what? And then I started looking it up. And so that's another reason we need to, to stay hydrated is I had no idea that it was, that, that, um, it was linked to, um, cardiac issues. Yeah. We could literally do an entire episode on water alone. We could, I mean, I I have enough information. I could literally talk for an hour about just hydration and the importance of what it does in your body. People don't understand. They just don't understand, but yeah, it's so, 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 so critical. So critical. So yeah. Okay. Couple more, and then we're going to wrap it up for today. Um, Okay. Uh, Kimberly says, what are the side effects that people don't expect like hair loss? No one told me big exclamation point. Okay. I I mean, I can name a couple that were, oh my God, I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, So when I had my surgery and I've talked about this before in other episodes, um, I was cash pay. Um, I did not, I, I had one like 30 to 45 minute meeting with my surgeon's office before my surgery. That was it. I had in the hospital one follow-up with here's the handed me a, a little folder with, you know, after surgery tips and my one page diet plan for, you know, the next years um, that was actually crooked on the page. So it had been photocopied so many times it was kind of crooked. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so I didn't get anything. So everything I learned in the beginning, because it's like, where do you go? You go to Facebook, you join a bazillion, you know, bariatric groups. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, constipation and hair loss and all of these things. Yes. These are all things that happen. Um, the hair loss for most, not all bariatric patients is a real thing for most, not all bariatric patients. It does come back. Um, it's a, it's a trauma response to the body. It's the fact that you are eating nothing but protein for a short period of time. It's the fact that you're in a state of malnutrition for quite a while, physi- physiologically, um, which is why also I, for my clients, I get my clients up to that thousand calorie mark by four months post-op, which is, you know, but if you're eating between 950 and a thousand calories at four months post-op, which every, everybody can do, um, with, the right coaching and the right know-how um, and the, the right, you know, high density nutrient packed foods. Um, it's going to be less extreme. Um, it is a natural part of it. Not everybody has it, but a lot of people do. It has to do with the growth cycle of the hair and where you are in that cycle. It also could do with, um, uh, from what I've heard from other people too, is the anesthesia that you go under. Yeah. Yeah. It's anesthesia. It's, it's <clears throat> from the surgery. Yeah. I mean, so it's your body recovering from that. Um, it's, you know, so there's a lot of factors that go into the, into the hair loss thing, but yes, it is a real thing. If you are aware that it's going to happen and you can start doing things to prevent you know, you can't prevent it, but you can help the hair grow back faster and healthier. And guys, I'm here to tell you there's a bazillion products on the market and I'm not going to name any men, you know, mention any by name. Topical things don't work. The hair grows from inside the body. It's nutrition related. Okay. You can put as many, as much crap on your head, on your head as you want. It is not going to change. It is not going to change your hair and make it grow faster. It has to be internally because your hair grows from inside your body. If once it escapes the scalp, it's dead. My, my doctor had suggested biotin, but also cautioned about too much. So I think that's also, um, you know, while their protein and biotin were the things that I was told from, from my surgical center. Um, but again, I would follow up with your, um, medical practitioner because, um, you know, it's, well, I think it's water soluble too. So, right. so 10,000, um, MCGs. So 10,000 a day is the recommended dose for most bariatric patients. Um, but I say that with that caveat of you have to have your labs done and you have to have a discussion with your doctor to make sure that that biotin is not counteracting with, you know, or interacting with any of your medications that you're currently on or medical conditions. But that is, that's the typical dosage is 10,000 MCGs a day. Um, and what will happen with that is the biotin helps to promote healthy skin, hair, nails growth. And so for me, um, my hair started falling out at about the three month point, but at the three month point, I had already started taking the biotin by six months. I had like a half an inch of hair growth all over my head, little fuzzy hair. Yeah. Yeah, They stick up and it was like insane. And so, you know, but my, my, um, stylist, followed that and watched that. So my hair loss lasted about nine months. Yes. But while my hair was falling out, the old hair was falling out. The new hair was coming in. Right. And by the time I hit about two years post-op, my hair was all back. I mean, it was shorter than what I wanted it to be, which is why I cut my hair short because my hair was almost down to my waist. Um, 
you know, and I've gone through, you, I mean, those of you who followed me for a while have seen all the different, you know, I had it like shaved in the back. Literally, I pulled up a picture like a year and a half ago. It was like super duper short in the back. And now it's like past my shoulders. And I mean, cause my yeah. hair grows fast, but you know, I had to stop taking the biotin because I was growing a mustache, you know, I mean, it, it like, it doesn't just grow on your head. It grows on your legs and your, you know, your lip. And of course, hormones and being postmenopausal has have a lot to do with that too. But, um, you know, yeah, I had to stop the, the biotin at a year and a half post-op. So, you know, but again, it, that the 10,000 MGDs is the recommended dose, but you have to follow up with it with, you know, whoever's doing your labs. Um, and, and make sure that it's not inter, interacting with any other, you know, medications or medical conditions or, you know, it can also throw off um, false positives or false negatives in some of your labs. Um, so those are just things you have to have those discussions. Um, now, I do, I never went to my bariatric surgery center to do my, my follow-up labs. I always used my primary care physician. And part of the reason I did that is because my primary care physician knew everything. I mean, they knew everything that was going on. And the only thing that I needed to do was bring them in. Okay. These are the things we need to look for as a bariatric surgery patient. Um, but my bariatric surgeon didn't have any clue about other health conditions that I may or may not have had. I mean, I suffered from anxiety and depression and some other things. And so I was on medications for those for a long time. And, you know, I didn't want to do anything that would, would interact with those and mess that up because we all know we don't want crazy. Um, so you know, I had my, my primary care physician because I, I saw them all the time. They knew me. So I always tell my clients, unless you really have a strong relationship with your bariatric surgeon who, and they know everything, get your labs done from your primary care physician, you know, have them monitor them because they're going to be able to more adequately address all of the health conditions that you have and, and watch for things. Well, I had my surgery in Washington and I live in Georgia. So while they sent me the paperwork, it was up to, and yes, I had my labs drawn according to the bariatric surgeon, right? They would have my labs. Then I would take them and have them read and work through them with my primary care because I'm in Georgia, but my surgery happened in Washington. So, and I don't know how many people that happens to, but you know, there's, there's, sometimes complicating situations as well. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, somebody else also, and this kind of piggybacks into this is, um, just started going through menopause three years out from RNY gained weight. What's happening to me. Um, welcome to maturity. (laughs) And I can speak about this one too, because I've also gone through menopause. Um, you know, the five pound gain, some people wait, you know, have weight gain, some don't. Um, it's a lot of it's hormonally related. Um, because of the hormone depletion, when you go through menopause, everything changes. Um, I know you wanted to talk because we talked a little bit before we started the, the, the podcast of some things that you want to talk about with this. Well, I mean, I just wanted to say, you know, this may be, it may not be something that you work on with your bariatric surgeon, but maybe you need to talk with your OBGYN, right? Because there may be something in terms of, um, and it's not for everybody. And again, this is not my area of expertise, but I have a couple of clients who are on some hormone replacement therapy right? and that's, what's working best for them. Not necessarily recommended for everybody. This I, is, I why, don't think yeah, I'm not, right. this is why you've got to get with your support team because some people will experience some increased hunger as a result of, um, menopause, you know, totally different side, <laughs> 
side mention here, but I know that I've had clients who head into menopause and aren't exhibiting symptoms of ADHD, but never had ADHD before menopause, right? Right. So that's something that is a side effect that doesn't have anything to do with uh, hunger per se. However, it's also important to check, are you more hungry? And you would know this if you're in tune with your body, (laughs) your food intake. So that when you have that discussion with me, you're like, Patricia, I'm going to go, well, how much are you eating? What are your macros? And if you can't tell me, then. Right. And and so similarly, if you go to your OB, you know, they're going to say, when are you most hungry? They're going to, I mean, they're going to ask these questions. And if you don't know, um, or have you noticed an increase in hunger or what have you noticed that, um, you know, as you're going through menopause, so that may be something again, these, these different things, this body awareness, this mindset awareness, this hunger awareness, this nutrition awareness, awareness is the mother of change. It is your friend. It is your friend. Well, and awareness, you know, being aware of it is one thing, but if you take that awareness and you start to find, you know, solutions and answers and you educate yourself, education. So awareness done right leads to education, which leads to empowerment and control. So it, it all works together. I mean, it well, all- I think of, I want to, I want to just um, challenge that control statement because I have a lot of control freaks out there. I want to change the word control to in charge. Yeah. To yeah. be in charge of ourselves because that control especially for some of those who are OCDers out there, right? Yeah. Or those with ED, right? It's that that control cycle. What we can do is empowerment and being in charge. I think that's a huge... I like empowerment because I can tend to be a control freak and sometimes that gets the better of me. Which is, which is why empowerment and, and being in charge has a totally, I think, a different vibe than that whole control thing. Okay. Because again... I think all of us who've been on this weight loss journey, it's the control is so rigid. Yeah. I'm in control. I'm out of control. Whereas when we're in charge, we have discernment. Yeah. 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 And empowering yourself with knowledge. Oh my God. You know, because then, you know, it's like, I, I changed my, the way I approach and I'm using air quotes, cheating. Yeah. Completely changed the way I approach that because again, knowledge is power and I, I'm not cheating. Right. The choice. Right. I'm using. Correct. So instead of cheating, I'm splurging. Right. I control it. Right. Because I like allow myself to make that choice to. No shame. Allow- yeah, right. no shame. I'm purpose. I'm consciously doing this. I am in control of my choices. And I also know because I've, you know, educated myself on what the consequences are of that. You know, I talk about the pizza thing all the time. And that's my, my favorite example is I know if I eat pizza, like regular pizza, and I typically do like thin crust, extra sauce, pepperoni, Italian sausage, that's like my go-to. Um, 
I can eat two pieces of a medium pizza at four years post-op. And I know without a doubt, two days later, I'm going to be up two pounds every single time. I know, I know that, but I allow myself to have that splurge, but you know what? I don't toss my whole day out when I have that pizza. I don't have pizza at noon and then go, well, hell, I just blew the whole day. So I might as well eat the Oreos or whatever else is here. No, I am immediately very next food that goes in my body is right back on my track plan. You know, so I allow myself that splurge. Well, I couldn't have gotten here to this place of knowledge and empowerment if I hadn't educated myself and paid attention to the tracking and listened to my body and watched for the cues and you know, you and shamed yourself for being, right. it's going to come. That's the other thing. It's, it's going to come off. And when I think of pizza, cause I, I know it, cause that'll happen to me too, is it's, it's a lot of the sodium and the cheese. Oh, and so, absolutely. Yeah. It's the sodium yeah. for me. Cause I mean, I, I don't do like extra cheese or anything, but um, yeah, it's the sodium for sure. For me, the sodium and the gluten. I, Cause I just don't do tons of gluten now. Um, oh yeah. Neither. Yeah. I, I do eat some wheat-based products, but not, not much. Right. And they're typically, if I do, they're like super duper high fiber. Right. You know, it, it kind of lessens the impact, but yeah, I don't, I just don't do tons of gluten. So, all right. Well, wow. Okay. So lots of scary questions answered. I hope. Oh, um, last one, last one. Oh, okay. okay. Last one. What does what long-term maintenance look like? Oh, girlfriend. <laughs> um, well, we can both talk about this. Do you want to go first? <laughs> Uh, my easy answer for what long-term maintenance looks like is similar to what we talked about in, I think it was the regain episode. And and I think you, we've already talked about it a ton right now, which is, um, it looks like the same, just more calories, right? (laughs) Um, and it's having, for example, it's having pizza at noon, going right back on plan. It looks like and I know you can't see me, but it's like you're, you take your foot off the gas, you take your hand off the wheel and you go off into the, um, not to the margins, but it's to the, um, the, the side of the road where the bumpies, where it's like, you know, bump, 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 and you're like, ah, I'm off the side of the road. Okay. Pull, pull the wheel back in right where you are, you know, really straightening the wheel and getting uh, adjusting. you're constantly adjusting. It looks no different. This is lifestyle change. This is not a diet. You are going to engage in indulgences and splurges. And I call it the 80, 20. Um, that's just, my. you live, right. You live and you make choices. Engagements. You're going to have parties. You're going to have holidays. You're going to have, you know, unexpected events. You're going to, you know, you're going to have life. It's learning how to adjust to those things. And, you know, the short answer is I, I never say to myself, and I think somebody also also asked, will I ever or never be able to eat X, Y, and Z again? I never say to myself, I will never eat this again. Using back to that word, I empower myself to say, mm, you know what, that's not the best choice for me right now. And I'm choosing this. I eat what I like. I get to eat healthy food that's also yummy. Right. And I think that's also helped me exit the diet mentality because it was very much all or nothing. Yeah. 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 Well, and you know, for me, maintenance, and and this is again, you know, how I I work with my clients is guys, the work 
never ends. And I will say that a bazillion times before I finish my career. The work never ends. It just looks different. And so, you know, this journey is hard. I I mean, I'm four years out and this is my profession. I work with, you know, thousands of bariatric patients and it is hard. It is hard for me. It is hard for them. The hard never changes. So it's hard when you are pre-op. It's hard when you are going through your post-op stages before you're released onto real food. Once you're released onto real food, it's hard again. Then all of a sudden you get, you know, two years out and your body starts changing and things start, you know, stop working the way they are. And it's hard again. Then you hit maintenance and it's hard again. Okay. It's just different. It's it right. So you have to constantly adjust, a constantly adjust. So I have this quote and hold on, I'm going to walk over and get it because I, ah, I walk away. Everybody's going, what is she doing? Um, so I have this plaque that I made um, that is like prime position in my house. Have I seen it? Let me see it. This one. Yeah. So it's in the end, she became more than she expected. She became the journey. And like all journeys, she did not end. She simply changed directions and kept going. A thousand percent. So guys, that's what this is about. Okay. It is on, you're on a journey and all along this journey to health, you have to change directions and keep going. But again, getting back to being empowered with knowledge, you know, it took me 13, almost 14 months to go from a thousand calories a day to my maintenance level. Right. Because it's not something you can just overnight go, oh, all of a sudden I'm in maintenance. So I'm going to start eating 1700 calories a day now. No. Oh my God. It took forever for me to get there because I had to inch my way up little by little and I had to make adjustments in my macros. So, you know, and it's, it's going to look different for every person. Like I now I'm on 50% carbohydrates, 25% fat, 25% protein. That's the macros that work for my body and maintenance, but that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. So that's where working with, you know, a nutrition you know, working with whoever it is that's managing, whether it's me or, you know, someone else who's helping you manage your weight loss, you have those conversations and you're constantly going back and you're tweaking things to find what fits for your body. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't do 40% protein, which was balanced macros for weight loss. I can't do 40% forever. One, holy hell, it would be so unbelievably unhealthy for us because that high, high, high mass of protein, first of all, is going to make you gain weight because, you know, there's two types of people who eat lots of protein. One of them eats three to 4,000 calories a day and is a bodybuilder. The other eats a thousand calories a day and is a weight loss patient. So you can't increase calories and increase your protein without gaining weight. It's just physiology. Okay. So, and your body will become extremely acidic, which can do all kinds of fun, nasty things to your body. So we can't eat that much protein. Okay. Females only need about 45 to 65 grams of protein a day as a healthy at goal, at weight, you know, goal weight adult. We just don't need that much. Um, You know, and depending on your different surgery, you know, you know, you have malabsorption issues and things with other, with other surgeries, we have to increase that slightly, but guys never over a hundred calories, a hundred grams a day. We don't, no one needs over that unless they are truly a bodybuilder intending to bulk up and build mass. So it's just not healthy. So if you have to work with someone that understands you and your needs and where you are and can help you manage that. 
So find that person, you know, to help you with that maintenance. So, I mean, so what does it look like? It looks different for every person. It looks different for every person. So, yeah. <sighs> Crazy stuff. Looks so. different for every person. Every person. Just like the weight loss journey kind of looks yep. different for every person. I think, I think that's, you know, spooky truths. Spooky. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, and I mean, I could, since we said it looks different for every person, stop comparing yourself. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Comparitis. Comparisonitis. It, and comparison is the thief of joy. It is. It's terrible. The yeah. other thing, the other thing that I would add to this, you know, because we're, we're talking about, you know, it's spooky is let's take a look at what you're fearing. Yeah. Let's take a w- look at what you're fearing and um, what you fear you're also giving power to. And it's in it. I'm not saying don't feel the feelings, right? Feel it, look at it, but examine it. Again, practice awareness of it. What is it telling you? What is it teaching you? Yeah. You know, how is it guiding your behavior? How is it educating you? Right. So also going back to that whole, I fear regain. I'm totally afraid of it. Well, don't be afraid of it and, and actually look at that and work with your fear instead of against it. Yeah. Because again, what we've what I've learned from all of my training and fear and anxiety is when you lean into the fear, when you face the fear, right? When you face the boggart back to our, right. You've got, you've got to learn how to use your Patronus. Like, hello. (laughs) This is an owl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So yeah, we just nerded out again there. Um, All right, guys. So happy Halloween. Um, I know. Happy Halloween. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. We're going to go ahead and wrap up today and call it, call it quits for this episode. Um, as always, guys, if you have any questions, if you have a suggestion for an episode, if you want to be a guest on the episode, please message us at podcast at mybariatrickitchenonline.com um, or find us on Facebook and send us a personal message through Facebook uh, Messenger. There's always ways to get to us. Um, if you can also go to the website um, podcast uh, at my bariatric kitchen. Um, let's see, my bariatric kitchen online.com forward slash podcast. Um, Feel but, free to join our Facebook groups. Yeah, join um, our Facebook groups. I mean, bar- bariatric mindset mavens or my bariatric kitchen. Um, you know, there are ways to get to us Instagram, Facebook. I mean, we're all over the place. We can be found and we're here to help. Um, you know, also, too, guys, if you would love uh, to help us. You know, we, we would love to have contributions. Um, that's something. Share, share, share. Yeah, share, share, share. Um, so share the, the group, share the podcast with friends, even if they're just weight loss. We've actually gotten quite a few messages recently from people who um, are not bariatric, who are just literally weight loss. And they're like, oh my God, your podcast has so much valuable information just for those of us on the weight loss journey. So thank you very much. Um, but lots of ways to, you know, to get the information out there. Um, you know, help us spread the word because we truly want to help as many people as we can, um, you know, just to, to get the knowledge. And, and we appreciate you guys as listeners so, 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 so much. Um, so stay healthy, hydrate, hydrate, do what you need to do to, uh, to, to get those, to those healthy goals. And uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. So we will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The content included in this podcast is for information and education purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your surgeon, physician, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical issue or concerns. Thanks.